Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Crusher. I'm your host, Josh Brewster. You know, I know everybody knows me from the NHL. Well, not everybody, but some people know me from the NHL. And they might be thinking, when is Josh going to talk about hockey? And um, I have a unique opportunity today to talk to Colby Cohen, who was drafted by the Colorado Avalanche in the second round of the 2007 NHL entry draft. And we've got some interesting things to talk about. Uh, This is a guy who I just met now. He's got a lot of guts. And I wanted to bring him on because uh, he had opined about some world events that are near and dear to my heart. Uh, But I'm a hockey guy. And uh, it is great to welcome Colby Cohen to the Crusher today. Colby, how you doing? Oh, it's uh, it's good to talk to you. And and honestly, I, I, I really, you know, you get put in a in a a bucket of being an athlete or being a hockey player. And, and, um, you know, I, I feel like I I've been involved in so many other things and I'm, I have so many other interests and, and, uh, it's great when you reached out to me and you kind of told me some of the stuff you were looking to talk about. Um, you know, I, I was excited for that and, and I, I like and enjoy talking about that stuff. And, you know, I, I always appreciate learning about, you know, different geopolitical things and world events. And, and I like hearing differentiating viewpoints and, and just kind of having the ability to do that. And, and you know, I feel um, I'm at a stage in my life where I don't work for an NHL team. So I feel like I don't have to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to voice my opinion and not have to worry about, you know, being fired because, you know, you and I both know that if I were as, you know, outspoken and vocal as I've been, you know, through this whole conflict that we're seeing right now um, with Israel, I, I probably would have been fired by the, you know, my last employer was the Chicago Blackhawks. They, they would have fired me for sure. I wouldn't have lasted a, more than a day with, with um, how outspoken I've been in, in support of Israel. So um, I'm glad you asked me on and uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it with you a little bit. Well, look, man, good for you. And you know, I, I was, I was in a similar situation for many years. Um, fortunately I worked for some people who were really cool. Uh, but uh, you know, you know, one thing called me about cancel culture, which I detest. One thing about it is if you tell them, screw you, they'll leave you alone. The moment you start apologizing, <laughs> It's just more and more on the pile, you know. So, you know, we're we're free to speak. So let, let's start here, since uh, you mentioned Israel, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about. Now you can fill me in on this, so I know there's been an update with the International Ice Hockey Federation. But back in January, they announced that Israel's under twenty men's team would be barred from an upcoming tournament in Bulgaria over security concerns. And um, you know, I I find this spineless. Uh, in fact, I'll give you a couple of other examples. Israeli-born soccer star Sagiv Yezikel returned home to Israel, been playing for a Turkish professional team. Not an easy place to be Jewish, by the way. Yeah, and a and very good player in that league, by the way. A very, very good. He was a star player for that team. Um, and I know the exact uh, instance that you're talking about. Well, why don't you tell me about it? He uh, He was arrested by the Turkish mm-hmm. authorities for Be- supporting Israel publicly while being a member of that team. And, he scored uh, and a goal. And and he- before, before you get into that, I'll just also mention in passing, Cricket South Africa uh, got their uh, tossed their captain off the team 
for being Jewish, basically. They, and it's always security concerns or some nonsense. Yeah, it's bullshit. No other minority would is. put up. Colby, no other minority would put up with this shit. Okay, so why don't you tell me what you know about the, the, the Turkish soccer player? Yeah, the soccer player, he, he scored a big goal in a big game. He was one of their best players, um, if not their best. And he, he had, you know, some sort of supporting message on his wrist. I, I believe it, it might have said bring them home in Hebrew. I don't ex- like remember the exact detail referring to the hostages that 100 know, days. What, so, which is how many days the hostages the has, had been taken. And what's crazy about that is let's just, let's just put, put certain things aside and say you want to have a differentiating opinion or viewpoint than you or I on this whole matter. Okay, I think you're an idiot. But okay, sure, you get to have your difference of opinion. But what is controversial about wanting hostages, innocent people, returned who were abducted and brutalized and i don't need to go down the list of all the things that these people have been through i don't care where you live what part of the world if you are a part of civilized culture there should be nothing controversial about that and that just shows you what kind of government turkey has what kind of leadership they don't have it shows you, you know, remember when there was an earthquake in Turkey over this past summer, who was the first nation to give aid and support? Let me guess. None other than Israel. Israel. Was it Israel? None other than Israel. Oh. So, you know, I, I truly, truly hope that, you know, this has reshaped their thought process in how giving and how generous they are to these countries that surround them that truthfully want them all dead when push comes to shove. So, you know, those different instances are disgraceful. I mean, they're absolutely disgraceful. And, you know, the, the IIHF thing, I mean, that, that what, what, what is embarrassing about that, and Luke Tardif, who's the, the president of the IIHF, who's a spineless, spineless leader, um, who, whose track record is embarrassingly bad, embarrassingly bad. He caved in 24 hours, and all it took was one call from the National Hockey League. And he came crawling back to the table. Team Israel was reinstated back to the under-20s. And then they go in, and they beat the shit out of every team, Turkey included. They win the tournament. They move up next season for the under 20s uh which good for those guys and you know it it just shows you that uh, there's a level of anti-semitism out there that quite frankly Josh I, I had no idea it existed my dad tells me he knew but I had well, no idea I had well, no well, idea listen man you <laughs> you you and I should go bowling because uh I, okay here let me give you a couple more examples British Airways decided to pause a plan to include a Jewish sitcom called Hapless in its in-flight entertainment. Uh, Netflix has put the pause button on broadcasting several Israeli series. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. It's, uh, look, man. It's all because they're scared of cancel culture. They're all scared of the woke left coming for them and parading around. And this is what this is the world we live in now. Well, not only that, Colby, they, they also, they're, they're terrified of radical Islamists. See, there, there's something else, Colby, that, that, first of all, if no other minority, 
If this was a black, you think they'd kick a black kid off the off the the cricket team in South Africa? You think they'd kick a black guy out of? Uh, come on, or a Hispanic guy or whatever. If it was any other minority, they wouldn't do it. Uh, but you know, it, it's just um, it's just galling. And it, look, you you know the writer Salman Rushdie, right? You've heard of him, right? I'm familiar. Yeah. Okay, so they itch, it, you're you were very young when this happened, but they you were probably not even born yet when they when this happened. But they issued a fatwa. The Ayatollahs in Iran issued a fatwa. Go kill Salman Rushdie. So he's in hiding for years. And if you remember, just a couple years ago at Chautauqua outside of Buffalo, someone came up and stabbed him in the eye. Okay? Stabbed him in the eye. And uh, and all these people, especially very liberal people, oh, it's so terrible, and it is terrible, but they can't talk about why he was stabbed. You follow me? They mm-hmm. don't want to, I don't want anyone to think I'm an Islamophobe. The guy was stabbed in the eye. You know what I mean? Josh, you look no further than the fact that one or two days after the massacre that transpired, you know, in those kibbutzes in, in, in southern Israel along the, the border of, of, you know, the, uh, what is known as Palestine, Gaza you know, whatever you're going to call it, um, the White House stood up the next day and and talked about the rise of Islamophobia. I mean, look no further than the press secretary who can't answer a question straight about anti-Semitism without talking about Islamophobia. I mean, look no further. It was like a a comedy routine, a bad comedy routine. Here's like, okay, hey, what about anti-Semitism? Oh, we're going to do everything we can about Islamophobia. It's like, no, no. It's, it's like a who's on front. I didn't ask you. you. I asked you about anti-Semitism, you, and you answer about Islamophobia. Anytime that woman gets up to the podium at the White House, you would think you were watching a Babylon B skit. It has become That's right. hard to differentiate between what she's talking about and satire because she gets up there and lies day in and day out and she can't bring herself to even talk about anti-Semitism. And it's, it's a major, major problem. Now, look, I grew up uh, in the main line of of Pennsylvania. I'm out, I'm from outside of Philadelphia. You know, my mom's from lower Marion, heavily, heavily Jewish area. Um, You know, that area we, we, our family grew up the town over Radnor township you know, not not a ton of Jews, but but a good amount and a very supporting, welcoming place, um, an affluent place where, you know, you're not seeing the anti-Semitism. And there was tons and tons of bar and bat mitzvahs and kids were very familiar with, you know, Jewish people and what it meant and what they did. And so, again, I, I was really sheltered from these things as a kid. I never dealt with it in hockey, maybe one or two flare ups in my life where people made some remarks to me. But to be honest with you, they weren't anti-Semitic remarks. They were just people that were ignorant and had no idea the meaning behind certain things. Some, I, I played with guys from Western Canada in my career. They never knew, what's a Jewish? What is Jewish? What does Jew? They had no idea, right? So I just never dealt with this as a hockey player my whole life. I really didn't. My father tells me, he, he grew up in an area called Cheltenham, uh, which is actually where BB went to high school, Cheltenham High School. Um, it's where and my dad came MIT. up and came he through. He went to MIT, too. He, he did go to MIT. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, like him or, or hate him, he's a brilliant guy. 
Um, but so my dad grew up in an area that wasn't like that. My dad's in his seventies. He grew up in a different time. And he tells me that he spent half his childhood fighting and being called derogatory anti-Semitic names. Um, and, and so this doesn't, this doesn't surprise him, this, this uprising in in America. Let me put it to you this way. I don't know how old your dad is. I'm, I'm 57. Okay. My dad was much, much older. They had me very late in life. He, he was chased down the street every single day in New York, growing up in New York. Um, but, you know, anti-Semitism became such a, such a social faux pas over the decades. Thank God. And thank God for the United States of America. Uh, but I know what you mean, because I grew up in a very, and I'm Jewish, I grew up in a very Jewish area in, uh, outside Buffalo, New York. All the 1970s Sabres, by the way, lived in my neighborhood. All of them. What where what area was that? I lived in Amherst, Williamsville. Okay, Amherst. yeah, I'm I've heard of I, I'm familiar with the area. Yeah, Gilbert, I mean, not... Perot, Gilbert Perot was a block away. Da- uh, Danny Gare, Bill Height, Craig Ramsey, a whole bunch of guys. Anyway, and 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 the anti-Semitism was mostly just ignorance. Mostly. By the way, you mentioned Netanyahu. I want to recommend read his autobiography. Hey, read his autobiography. You know what it takes to become a Navy SEAL. He was basically a Navy SEAL in Israel. And I don't know if you'd agree with this. I'm sick of people screaming about Netanyahu because, Colby, I don't know if you'd agree with this. People who are going to burn babies alive and rape women and drag their bodies through the streets and decapitate people and take a nine-month-old baby amongst others hostage, people who are going to do that do not care whether the Jews vote for a liberal or vote for a conservative or vote for Netanyahu or vote for Barack. They're there to kill Jews. Yep. Yep. Listen. You talk to me about Netanyahu all day long. They're there to kill Jews. What do there's you nobody I'd rather. There's no else. There's nobody I'd rather see in power right now in Israel than BB. Like nobody. He's nobody. Like For what is going on right now, you couldn't have a better leader with a stronger backbone. And you know what? In a way, what he's doing in Israel is keeping the rest of the West safe. And that yep. is a big thing that people do not realize. You think these fucking animals, and I don't know if I'm allowed to, to swear or not yeah, on, you on your show. So, okay. But these animals, they don't, they're not stopping with the Jews. They want anybody and everybody who doesn't practice their insanity. Oh, you can't even call it a religion. It's a death cult. It's a jihad death cult. Well, and look, so they're, they're hiding it's necessary. Colby, they're hiding behind children. That's a definition of a death cult. And I, I like to remind, I never hear this. This is something I never hear. In 1973 was the last time that the Arabs lined up armies and went and fought the Jewish army. Okay? They're not, Arafat told them to dispense with all of that. You go after innocence. You hide behind innocence. You use terrorism. If Hamas had, had, had put together an army, and gone to fight the Jewish state on a battlefield. That would and be it's one a whole thing. different conversation, right? It wouldn't have lasted an hour, but it'd be a whole different conversation. But, but, but it goes to show you what they're all about. And and I wrote a piece on Substack called "One Man's One Man's Hilton is Another Man's Terror Tunnel." You know, they have prime real estate on the Mediterranean. How many people in the Middle East are living on the Mediterranean? Right? You have water. You you could be you give a Hilton Ritz Carlton you could have a Ferris wheel you could have it resort could, it, it could have been have turned schools, into you uh, could have libraries it, no no they had every 
They had every opportunity. They had more aid than any country, any place in the world. They had every single opportunity. And you know what? I hope it was worth it. You sh- I, hope, I hope they feel like it's worth it because they will not be here within... You, you count that clock down because I believe BB when he says we will not stop until they are eradicated. I believe him 100%. 100%. It's not like the spineless idiot that runs our country I in agree. Israel. They have a real leader at their, in their country. Look, Colby, I, I've tried to educate myself about World War II. People did not want to listen to Winston Churchill. Okay? He was serious. You want to go with Neville Chamberlain? You want to give makeup? You want to appease Hitler? Go ahead. We're 23 years after 9-11, and you're afraid to talk about what radical Islam wants? I'm not talking about what normal Muslim people move to America, what they want to you just have no live problem with those people. No right? problem with those people. It's okay to be different. It's totally you're- okay to be different. Did you not get it? Did, did people not get it on 9-11? They're coming for you. The, Israel's the little Satan. We're the big Satan. They it's said, amazing. Look, they tell Iran us. Says they want to, Iran says they want to nuke the Jews off the face of the earth. And people are like, oh, yeah, Netanyahu's the problem. What? What? <laughs> what? It's, uh, listen, these people have it written. They're not people. They're animals. It's written into their charters. They sit in the parliament in Iran and their leaders chant death to America. Right. What aren't we listening to? And then we want to turn around and give them $5 billion in aid and expect them to do the right thing with it? I mean, what kind of fucking idiots are making these decisions? I mean, we know who. who We, we, we don't have to look very far. It's very public who makes these decisions. And we know where a lot of this shit started. Because we had an eight-year run of a president who desperately wanted to have, you know, ties with Iran. And then we had four years where we gave him the middle finger and we told him to piss off. And then right away, let's get back in bed and look what happens. And when people say we're funding both sides of this war, they're not wrong. Both sides of these wars are coming out of our paychecks every two weeks. Both sides of it. The inability, Colby, the inability to choose sides is a hallmark of the left. Now, I didn't grow up a Republican. I grew up a Democrat. I'm Jewish. Neither did I. We're all Democrats. Neither did I. But here's the thing, and I don't know if you'd agree. I think the Democratic Party has now been hollowed out. They're being led by hardcore leftists. This is the hallmark of the left. They're anti-Israel. A lot of them are anti-American, and I'm very concerned. Where are the mainstream Democrats, Colby? Even Bill Clinton knew, and he said, Arafat caused the failure. And, and, and for all the people who hate Trump, remember something. He struck four Middle Eastern peace deals, and, 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 and Israel was on the road to actually having a, a, a normalization with, of all people, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that will happen. Yeah, I, 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 strong, I strongly believe that that Saudi Arabia um, normalization will happen. And it's funny, I, I listened to, oh, I can't remember what the name of this podcast is. I'm going to look this up and I'll, I'll let you know after, after we're done. But I listened to Jared Kushner on a podcast recently 
my wife and I were going up to New York um, to see BU Cornell at Madison Square Garden over Thanksgiving. And we listened to Jared Kushner for about an hour on this podcast talk about the Abraham Peace Accords and um, just the difference in, you know, dealing with these Muslim, you know, and Middle Eastern countries and, and, you know, it was fascinating. Jared Kushner is obviously a bright guy. He's been around major levels of business his whole life, real estate deals, negotiations. And one of the things that really struck me um, as interesting was when he talked about when the when they first started negotiating these deals. And I can't remember where they all met for a round of negotiations and conversations. And he talked about how Netanyahu flew on an LL flight commercially from Israel to, I think, Washington, D.C. This is the, uh, a man who runs a very wealthy, well-run country. Well, then you have the, the guy who's in charge of you know, the head of the Palestinian Authority, which is a, a, a place that is run off of nothing but you, you, our money, UN donations, right? Which we, we contribute, what, 60% our, our, our country, right? So he shows up in a G4. So, so how does that make sense that Bibi Netanyahu is, is on a commercial flight, but the leader of the Palestinian Authority is, is on a G4, which probably costs, I don't know, four or $500,000 to charter across the ocean. I mean, it, it just shows you the levels of corruption that you're dealing with oh, with these types of people. There's no question. And let me say this. I mentioned Netanyahu's autobiography. And of course, he talks about Kushner. You know, everybody sneers at Kushner and Trump. This is all they do in this country. We're so out of our minds. We don't even look at things objectively anymore. Just, I, it, it's, it's a whole other topic. But listen to this. Netanyahu talks in his autobiography about the end of Palestinian centrality theory, and that is this. The thing that Trump got right and Kushner got right was instead of sitting here waiting until the end of time for the Palestinians to make a peace deal, they've been offered a country like five times, okay? So here's what they did in the Trump administration, and Biden should do this, but he won't. We're going to make deals with every country, every Arab country, that will normalize with Israel. And what that will do is that will serve to show us where the radical Islamist virus really is. So if you start stacking up Arab countries, 20 of them, you start stacking up Arab countries that will just normalize relations and trade with Israel and just declare, look, there's no reason for us to be at war. We will isolate Iran and Yemen and the Palestinian Authority instead of sitting here for, for 5,000 more years until the Palestinians decide they want to make peace. And well, that's I'm glad, where I'm glad, was right. Yeah. And well, listen, Kushner I'm glad you just brought, I'm glad you just mentioned Yemen. How about today? I read a story today, verifiable story from a verifiable source right on, on X. They just sentenced in Yemen, a Houthi-run court. They just sentenced like seven or eight people to be hung to death. Why? Because they're homosexual. And you have people on college campuses, okay, regular American students who are cheering and supporting yeah. terrorist group. And I don't, I, I'm Houthi, is that, is that how you pronounce their, their terrorist Close group, enough. the Houthis? Yeah, what, whatever, you, what, whatever it is. You have, they're hanging people for being gay oh, and being, 
Oh, of course they do. And, and then you have people in this country called Queers for Palestine. I mean, like that just shows you that common sense is gone. No, and, it's totally- and there's these these people are so blinded um, that I, I, it, it's it honestly sometimes like when you see that. I mean, we live in a country where you can do whatever you want, and you should be able to. You should. Okay, listen. If you're homosexual and you want to marry. Do it. What? What? That's not our business. If that's what makes you happy, you should be allowed to do it. I think it's crazy that anybody would object in this day and age to that type of thing. I don't understand. Look, to when you look at queers for Palestine, Israel has the biggest, one of the biggest gay pride parades in the world. Israel has had a woman as prime minister in 1968, and and if you go fly a pride flag in Gaza, they will hang your ass. You'll be done. So You'll be done. You so this is leftism. This is insane. It's, this isn't it's not even democratic thought, Colby. He, here's the thing. Be, being it's funny because I listen to Bill Maher a lot, yeah. and and I re, and I like Bill Maher. I do, and I think honestly, like he talks about this on his show consistently. I'm an old school liberal, which is probably he might be the you, last liberal, Colby. He might be the last one. But he's an old school, he's an old school liberal and he talks about all of the reasons he's a liberal. They're all things that are good for society. All of those things, whether it be gay marriage, equal voting rights, equal pay, these are all good for our society, but it's not, and I've, I've started to be careful of, of just using the term liberal yeah. um, because I know a lot of liberals who, who are good. They're good people and they're, they're, they're like me, but the woke shit is where you lose me. It's the yeah. woke extreme. And look, the extreme on the other side is just as toxic in a different way. I mean, like, let's, let's but, not kid but, ourselves. Colby, here's the thing. Here's the difference. Woke equals leftism, but here's the thing about the extreme, right? They're not running our universities. No. Okay. No. They're not the squad. They don't. There's no equivalent squad in the Republican. No. You know. No, I, I agree with and, that. And, and you might not remember this because you're because of your age. But in the in the 80s, the Republicans were very like the social conservative, Jerry Falwell, moral majority. We want America to be this religious, whatever. It's much more libertarian now. And here's the thing, Colby. Things change. Pendulums swing. It. A lot of libertarian conservatives, if you talk to conservatives who are of a more of a libertarian variety, they will tell you that they are the real liberals, that they are the classical liberals. So it's interesting what you say, because you see, I like a guy like Bill Maher or you, who's an <laughs> honest liberal, and, 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 but people, everybody's so conditioned to hating the other political party, what they're not noticing is that the, uh, the virus that's taken over what should be a mainstream democratic party is yeah. very real. You see what's happening it's, in our universities. It's not a right wing effort, right? It's, no, it's the left. No. It's the hard left. And we have to draw a wedge between real liberalism and wackadoodle leftism. Yeah, well, I agree. I, 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 I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, it's funny, the more and more this shit transpires, the more these, 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 people that are, you know, normal, let's call them normal Democrats or, or they're, you know, they're very middle, middle, they're all starting to go the other way. They're all starting to lean the other way. And they're seeing what's happening in our universities. I think it's a, it's a huge wake up call. Um, you know, these, these people that aren't Jewish, that 
also had no idea. There's a, I mean, look, what's happening on our college campuses and what's happening on social media does not necessarily represent the main voice of America. Social media is a small, loud group of people. Okay. And, and same with these kids, you know, with their earrings and their nose rings and their, their rainbow haircuts and whatever other, you know, traits that you can pretty much pick out of a lineup for these anti, you know, Israel. And like, they're the same people that just always are yelling and screaming, probably have no idea what they're yelling and screaming about. Okay. So I, I, I do have to remind myself from that because look, I'm surrounded by a lot of people in my life that aren't Jewish that can't believe what's going on. These are people that don't go on social media. They don't go on Twitter. These are people, I'm 34 years old. I'll be 35 soon. And I have friends and people that I work with, you know, from everywhere from young, 10 years younger than me that are, that are hockey players that I know up to, you know, people like, your age, my dad's age, my dad's in his 70s, broadcasters, guys that I call games with, um, you know, guys like uh, John Butchergross is, is, is in his 50s. He's one of my closest friends in the world, right? Great and guy. so I, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of people with a lot of different socioeconomical backgrounds, people that some were raised wealthy, some were poor, some are from Ohio, some are from California. And there, there are also, there's a lot of good people too, that I think we just, we forget that, you know, social media does not represent the voice of America. It represents right. a small group of loud idiots. And same thing with these college campuses, okay? These, these kids are, are fucking morons that don't know the difference between a sneeze and a wet fart, and they'll yell and scream about anything that they feel is oppressive and that their trigger, everything's triggering and threatening and my this is hurt and I feel unsafe and blah fucking blah. I mean, give me a break with what is going on on these college campuses. It's a good thing I'm not in college right now. Oh it's a good God. thing. It's oh a good God. thing that I'm not at Boston University as a student right now because yep. I don't know how that would have gone over the last couple of months. Well, Colby, I promised the audience I would get to hockey, but I have a feeling we're going to talk about hockey next time. But I want to touch on a couple <laughs> things. I, I love your attitude, and, and I agree with you on a lot of things. Um, you are part of the Morning Cup of, Co Morning Cup of Hockey show. Yep, Morning Cup Daily of Face Hockey. Off. I, I used to rely on Daily Faceoff a lot. They print the lineup card every day. Tell me about the Morning Cup of Hockey real quick, and then I want to move on to a couple other things to let people know what you're doing. Yeah, so I, uh, I do a morning show Monday through Thursday on the Daily Faceoffs YouTube channel, part of the Nation Network. Um, they've got so many shows. They've got Oilers Nation. They've got a, an Ottawa Senators show, Leafs Nation. They've built a really cool network of different um, types of shows. Some are live, some are taped. Our show is live every morning at 9 a.m., so we try to stay on top of things. Um, we, we bring on guests tomorrow. Our show, um, you know, I, it's it's the seventh right now. It's Wednesday the seventh. I don't know when this will actually be released, Josh. But tomorrow the eighth, we'll have John Butchergross on our show tomorrow morning. We're gonna have Shane Pinto from the Ottawa Senators on our show tomorrow morning. A guy who's been in the news for for the wrong reasons. Um, so that's every morning. I do it with Johnny Lazarus. And the funny thing about the guy that I do it with, he's a friend of mine. He reached out to me when he was graduating college about four years ago. He was a hockey player at UMass. And he said, hey, I'm a Jewish hockey player. I have this podcast called The Lotka Room. 
and there's not a lot of Jews in hockey. Would you be willing to come on? And so I came on his show. We started to become buds. We started to talk. I've kind of ended up being like a mentor to him. He's a lot younger than me, but that's I'm, my co-host in the mornings. I got to check out the locker room. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny. By the way, uh, when you have Bucci on, tell him Josh Brewster, formerly of the Ducks, says hello. He was a great guest. Always very accommodating. And it's He's funny, you know, I've had, I've had Gretzky on, Bettman on, guys like John on. And I notice, Colby, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people who have really achieved things are usually the nicest guys. A lot of times the guys on the way up, they can be a little dicey sometimes. But the yep. guys like Bucigras are always gentlemen. Now, um, when I was growing up in the 70s, at Hebrew school, we would always talk about the Capitals had a, a guy, I think it was a goalie. Jeff Halpern. Bennett, oh, Bennett Wolf. Okay. Bennett Wolf. Okay. Okay. There was like the one Jewish guy we knew about. Well, now you got Colby Cohen, second round choice of the Avs. Uh, you got Devin Levi. You got Adam Fox, Jewish kid, won a Norris Trophy, et cetera. Okay. So it's it's a lot more common now, which is awesome. Yeah. But I want to tell folks, you got to understand the level Colby Cohen has played at. Played in the NHL, but he also played junior hockey with none other than Patrick Kane, James Van Riemsdyk, Kevin Shattenkirk. I could go on and on and on here. Good old Ducks but, boy. Yeah. You know, now, Colby, I got to say, you played You played in the ECHL. <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, this is. did you play in the Swedish Elite League as well? I play. I played all over Europe. Once uh, I played in Finland, I played in Sweden. I had a quick stop in the Russian League. Um, I finished out playing in, in England, which was a blast. Um, British Super you know, I, League, right? I, I, I had a lot of fun bouncing yep. around Europe at the end of my career. I, I spent most of my, my career in the American Hockey League um, with the Bruins affiliate, but I was fortunate to, to get called up, play some games in the NHL. I got drafted alongside my best friend. He was the first round pick. That's Kevin Shattenkirk, and I was their second round pick. Uh, we grew up playing hockey with and against each other since we're I don't know, seven or eight years old. So oh, you go that um, you go that far back. And same with James Van Riemsdyk. That's another guy. I go we go back to single digits. So I, I have my hockey family that I've been fortunate to be around my whole life. Guys that you know we, we've all been in each other's weddings and we've been at each other's bachelor parties and we've traveled together. And and um, I'm actually going to be in Boston this weekend doing some college hockey games on Nesson, and I'll actually stay at Shattenkirk's house for the weekend. You know, being up there, I love to be around his family and his kids and everything like that. So, so you were in you were in college with Shattenkirk, right? We were roommates at BU. Yep, we and committed to BU at the same Nick, time. Nick Benino, formerly of the Ducks the and Duck. the Sharks. Yep, and the that's Reds, right. Uh, and so I, I love just going through the the names here. You know, folks, Colby Colby got uh, three games in the NHL, and you know, Colby, I always talk to guys. I have the deepest respect for players who play in Europe, play minor pro, you won two bean pots with BU, right? And and I have the utmost respect for this and I just want to ask you something. What how were you at accepting that the NHL was not going to be long term? Because when you give, when you sacrifice as much as you did growing up and and you know, into adulthood how do you accept that as a player? Because obviously, if you're willing to play in all these different leagues, you still have a great passion for the game. 
Yeah, you know what? I think I realized it probably after like my third or fourth year in the American League. Um, and when I did decide to go to Europe, um, what happened was was I started broadcasting while I was still playing. So I was still in my career and I started doing games for Nesson in Boston because I had a big enough sort of reputation in the city. We did win a national championship when I was at BU, um, you know, and, and I did a lot of interviews for Nesson. And, and look, I always had a personality when I did interviews, and I think they remembered that. So at the end of my contract with the Bruins, at the end of year four, I had to have a groin surgery. Um, and, you know, I, I, I didn't think at the time it would be over my career, but I thought, you know, this is a pretty big operation to have. So while I rehabbed that operation, I think I was like 24 years old at the time. Um, I started doing games for Nesson, going in the studio, doing college games. I got lucked into doing a game in the booth with Tom Karen, the great Tom Karen. He's, he's a Boston legend, does Red Sox, does it all. Um, and, and really had a fun time working for Nesson and doing broadcasting. So I kind of realized then this is probably a more viable option for me because once you get through a couple of years in the American League and you're not getting called up, I just kind of said, you know what? I've had a great run. I played in the NHL. This game has been great to me. I know how this works. I, I don't want to enter the, the, the real world of, of trying to be an adult and have a real job. Not that I consider being a hockey broadcaster a real job because it's, it's fun. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel like a, um, it, it, it doesn't feel like a, uh, a, a job, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I realized it quickly. I, I really did. Um, you know, I, I just, it wasn't getting it done. I wasn't producing offensively. And to be honest, if I wasn't going to produce offensively, I was pretty worthless out on the ice. Um, that was what I was drafted to do. It's what I did my whole life. And, and, um, you know, I think I was just pretty real with myself. And so I started getting involved in broadcasting and started getting involved in other business opportunities. And, you know, I only played in Europe a grand total of maybe 20, 30 games if you add all of those stops up. Because every time I went over there, I'd say, eh, I don't really like this place. Let me try another place. And, you know, I spent like two months in Finland. I spent a month or two in, in, in um, Slovakia and a little bit of time in Sweden. And, and so it was kind of, um, you know, it, it, it was kind of it, just me being realistic with myself. And, and I was surrounded by other successful people. Um, and, and it, it was kind of an easy transition out of the game for me. And a lot of guys actually reach out to me now, um, when they are transitioning out of the game, just like looking for help, looking for advice. And, and not that I'm some whiz and it's not that I've have it figured out, but look, I, I've, I've kind of done things that most guys don't do. I was an analyst for the Philadelphia Flyers for three seasons. I didn't play for the Philadelphia Flyers and yeah. I landed that job. Yeah. I then get hired. Uh, by the Chicago Blackhawks to go be their color analyst. Um, I spent a year splitting the booth with Eddie Olchek. You know, when he was doing TNT, I would do the booth. He had a lot of health issues that year. I did a lot of games in the booth. Then the second year I was there, I was down between the benches, a spot they didn't use before, which they made and, you know, put me there and they put me with Patrick Sharp when he was in the booth or Troy Murray. So I had no connection to that organization. They watched my work and they liked it and they gave me an opportunity. Um, now, granted, I could spend all the time in the world talking about that experience, which was far from a good experience working in that organization. Um, but again, I've, I've been lucky. Now I do the Frozen Four. 
I do the national championship game for ESPN. This this year will be my sixth Frozen Four. I mean, I'm only 34. That's and Butchie and I, this will be Butchagross, Johnny Butchagross is and I first without Barry. Usually Barry would be in the booth and yeah. I would be down between the benches. Barry's retired, um, dealing with some health issues. And so this will be my first without him, which sucks because honestly, being a teammate with Barry Melrose is one of the highlights of my entire he, life. He was always um, great to me. He was always he's, great. He's one of the greatest yeah. human beings I've ever met in the game of hockey, Josh. And no, so, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, Colby, just from a, an observer's, well, I was in the NHL a long time, but I was a broadcast. I was always grateful that the club gave me 17 years. You, know, you can't be pissed because the show ends. They gave me 17 years. I move on to other things. One blessing, though, I always thought about sports. One great blessing of sports, Colby, to me as a player is that there will be an end. Even if you're Tamu Solane. Even if you're Gretzky retired and there will be an end. So, you know, there's look, I'm in LA. There's people walking around LA as actors slinging headshots. They've been doing it for 40 years, praying to God, something happens there. You know, there's no end. So athletics, there's a blessing in athletics that there's going to be an end because you got to deal with, you know, what else can you be? Who else are you? And uh, so I think it's great. And we're going to do this. Look, we're going to do this again and we'll, We'll get deeper into hockey, and I'll be looking out for you on Nesson uh, and elsewhere. And uh, yeah. Michael Bucci, Grasso said hello, and it's an I'll absolute pleasure to meet you, and I appreciate you doing the show. Yeah, no, listen, thanks for having me on. As you can tell, these are these are things that I'm I'm passionate about. They're things that I don't generally get to talk about in any really sense of public forum. Um, and and you know I, I'm uh, I'm grateful that that you reached out and you, you had me on. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, I never really saw a lot of the local Ducks broadcasts until Kevin Shattenkirk joined the Ducks. And then I saw, um, you know, more local Ducks broadcasts than I ever probably would have seen, um, you know, over those couple of years. Because as I tell everybody now, I, I'm, I don't have a team that I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of a team. I'm I root for my friends um, for their success. And so what, whatever team, you know, my close my tight knit group of buddies are playing on, I, I watch. So. Um, I, I got to see quite a bit of the Ducks over the last, you know, couple of years before uh, he he joined the Bruins this year, which was you know music for for my ears, obviously. So, thanks for having me on, and and you know keep keep fighting the fight. We need people that have platforms that aren't afraid to to say what's on their mind. I think that's a big problem in our country right now is people are just so scared of losing their job, and and you know to be honest, it it, it you know. It's one of the reasons I've realized that I, I need to be a, a self-employed individual because, you know, if, if you don't like what I have to say, that's that's totally fine. It's it's up to you. But, you know, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I'm done not speaking my mind. And, and, you know, that's kind of been the way for me for, for a while now. That's tremendous. Thank you, Colby Cohen.